Well, this is the third and the final Christmas message for the year. The first was on the places of Christmas. My second was on the people of Christmas. And today on Christmas Day, the person of Christmas. The person of Christmas. Jesus is not the central figure of Christmas. Jesus is Christmas. He's not an actor in the play. His birth is why we meet and why we celebrate today. But in many places and among many people, Jesus has become the forgotten person of Christmas. Jesus, the very reason for Christmas, has become the forgotten person of Christmas. And that's because a material emphasis has taken hold. And if you look at what Christmas and what this holiday has become, it's a complex, busy, commercial, sometimes frantic, and very indulgent time of the year. The National Retail Federation estimates that this year Americans will spend between 942 and 960 billion dollars during this holiday season. 6.6 billion on Christmas trees alone were spent last year. Parents will spend an average of $276 per child on Christmas gifts. Think of all the Christmas productions, the plays, the, the musicals, the parties, the light shows, and all the other activities associated with Christmas. And all of that is in stark contrast to the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The birth of Christ was beautiful for its simplicity. The, her, the person of, of Christmas came in a very humble form in a manner. And you read the story, and we're going to read it again in Luke chapter 2. He, he tells us the story in, in these 20 verses of Luke chapter 2. But take it in again and meditate upon it as I read. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this census took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, 
praising God and saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the angels. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. The first five verses in this narrative tells the purpose of the journey of Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus issued a decree for a census to be taken in the Roman-occupied territories for the purpose of taxation. He had no idea, absolutely no idea, what had been set in motion by the sovereign will of God. So a young Joseph takes his young pregnant wife a distance of around 80 miles or so from Nazareth up north in Galilee to Bethlehem of Judea, just as the prophets predicted. Well, did Mary ride on a donkey? The image of Mary riding on a donkey doesn't come from the biblical story, but it comes from an apocryphal book called the Proto-Evangelion of James that was written around 145 AD, which says that Joseph used the donkey to bring Mary to Bethlehem. But we do not know for sure. Verse 6 and 7 in Luke chapter 2 tell about the actual birth of Jesus. It says, And so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth or delivered her firstborn son. Jesus was the firstborn son, according to the scripture. The birth was normal in every way. It was the conception which was miraculous. Now, don't fret thinking that you must understand the how of of Mary's pregnancy because you really can't apprehend it all. Mary herself was bewildered by it. She asked the angel Gabriel who made the announcement, how how could this be, seeing that I I do not know a man? Luke 1.34. Mary was sexually pure. She had never known a man. And the angel's answer was sufficient for Mary. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Listen, if you believe the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You don't have a problem with subsequent miracles in the Bible, do you? It all starts there in the very first verse. But the scriptures inform us that Jesus had to take the form of a man, humanity, to die in the likeness of all of us who were who were made after Adam in the flesh and, and sinners after Adam in the flesh. Philippians chapter 2. If you look in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5 all the way to verse 11, is called the Carmen Christi. And that's the, the hymn to Christ. 
That's what the words Carmen Christi means, hymn to, to Christ. And this was a portion of scripture that was sung by the early church. Let this mind be in you, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus. What, what kind of a mind was that? A mind of self-sacrificing humility. Who, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it says in verse 6 of Philippians 2, who being, that means existing, existing in the form of God, thought it not robbery. That's an interesting phrase, which really what it means is he counted it or considered considered it not as a prize to be held on to. Now, don't let your thoughts run away. It didn't mean he gave up his divinity. But the glories of heaven, he, he held it not as a prize to be held on to. And he didn't hold it as a prize to be equal with God, which pro- would prohibit him from, in some way, coming to die for our sins. But the scripture says he, he made of himself of no reputation. It means he emptied himself. And he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, full humanity, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death. And here was the purpose of his cross, of his death, even the death of the cross, to suffer and die for our sins. But Paul says here concerning Jesus, who being or existing in the morphe, the form of God, Paul is saying that the, the Son of God shares literally in the very essence of deity. Jesus did not become the very form, morphe, or nature of God at a certain point in time. We need to understand that. Rather, he was always existing as God, who being continuously is the idea here. You know, we see a babe in a manger, and many people, that's all they see at Christmas. A little babe in a manger. The babe was fully God and fully man. And Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Well, he said that while he was in, in, in a human body. So he seen, seen, they didn't see the, the glory of God in his body. That did occur on one occasion in the life of the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration when the humanity was sort of pulled back the curtain and they saw the glory of his being. But when Jesus says, He who has seen me has seen the Father, God is spirit. He was talking about the very essence of God. They saw him and they heard the things that he said. They, they witnessed the miraculous things that, that only God can do. Just as Nicodemus came to him at night and said, Master, we know that no man can do the things you do except God be with him. Who being, who parkon is the Greek word. It's a present active participle. And it denotes a continuous existence or state of continually subsisting. Now listen, Jesus became man. He emptied himself, not by ceasing to be God, the eternal almighty God. He came down to us. He emptied himself by taking on our nature, not by diminishing his deity in any way. 
When God became man, he did not do so by losing divine properties or by having them augmented in some way, but by gaining a human nature. Jesus Christ was fully human. He identified with us in the flesh without sin. He grew. He hungered. He got tired. He slept. And his qualities developed in a normal human way. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature. What does that mean? He asked questions. And he learned. He was perfectly obedient to his mother and father. He was taught a trade from Joseph. And so on. All the things that we experience in life. These were human properties of the human nature of the divine Logos who had become man. While he never ceased being divine. Our salvation, in a sense, is dependent on Jesus' humanity as much as on his deity. He had to become one with us, yet without sin. Athanasius wrote 1,500 years ago, he became what he was not. He continued to be what he always was. He became what he was not, humanity. He continued to be what he always was, divine deity the virgin birth is an amazing thing is it not predicted by the prophet isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 but it reveals god intent his intent and his ability to save fallen men jesus did all that he did from his birth through his death and his resurrection to provide an atonement for our sins Galatians 4.4 says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. He was Jewish in every sense of the word. And why did He come? Galatians 4.5 To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sins. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, purchased from the, the slave market of sin, with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain manner of life received by tradition from your fathers. You weren't re- redeemed by any kind of a material thing, but with the precious blood of Christ. And then he adds these words, As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The lamb that the great prophet John, Jesus said there was no greater prophet than John the, John the Baptist, yet he did no miracles, but he identified that lamb, right? The lamb slain before the foundation of the world when John saw him, what did he say? Behold the lamb of God. Behold the lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus was God's only begotten son. John 3.16, you all know it well. For God so loved the world, here's your Christmas message, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What a gift. What a gift. You've probably seen the little slogan, you know, Christmas isn't about the, the gifts under the tree. It was about the gift that was nailed to a tree. Begotten. 
God's only begotten son. Greek word is monogonese, and it means unique. God's unique son. The only one of a kind. Vincent says the term only begotten when used of the son in the sense of unoriginated relationship. That's what it means. The begetting is not an event of time, however remote, but a fact irrespective of time. God's unique son. And you know, Mary's firstborn, as we read, she gave birth to her firstborn son, signals that after the birth of of Jesus, Joseph and Mary had had a normal marital relationship. Matter of fact, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 3, names and onward names Jesus' half-brothers as James, Joses, Judas, and Simon. And then it, it, it mentions, and his sisters were there also, plural, so he had at least two sisters. Now, they are not cousins. If they were, why, why would they, they appear so often with Mary and Joseph? Philip Schaff says, in all the passages where brothers and sisters are mentioned, Concerning Jesus, except in John 7, where they are represented in conflict with the Lord, they appear in close connection with him and his mother Mary as being under her care and direction, as forming one family. That would certainly be surprising, he said, and unreasonable if they were cousins. They were brothers, half-brothers and sisters. And the Greek word for used for brothers in that text in Mark chapter 6 is the normal word for brothers, not cousins. You know, it's interesting, we're told in John chapter 7 and verse 5, even his brothers did not believe in him. And Jesus had, had some that believed in him and followed him. But even his brothers, it says, did not believe in him. What's that all about? I find it very remarkable. No wonder, no wonder Jesus said in Mark 6, 4, after his brothers and sisters are mentioned, Mark 6, 4, Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin. And where? In his own house, among his own brothers and sisters. Well, the good news is that the half-brother, James, did become a believer after Christ's resurrection. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, And he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, Then of the twelve, after that he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some are fallen asleep, they've died. And then it says after this, after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And James authored the epistle that bears his name. But I want to draw your attention for a moment back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, and this revelation, this, this incredible manifestation of the angels to the shepherds. And we know that their initial reaction, as often is in the case in the Bible, when angels make appearances, is great fear. Great fear. I think we would all be very much alarmed and and frightened. It says in verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watching over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. That that was no ordinary Christmas light display. That was the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of God, shining all around about them. And no wonder, it says, and they were sore afraid. 
That word means exceedingly afraid. And actually, if you translated this statement precisely, it reads, and they feared a great fear. They feared a great fear. Phobeo, from which we get the word phobio. Phobeo, phobos megas, large. They feared a great fear. They were, they were stricken with fear. They were paralyzed with fear. But the angels brought good news. Good, good tidings. Told them, don't be afraid. They bring good news to who? To people. To all people. All nations and tribes. And they said, for unto you is born in this day, in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior, soter. We get the, the word soteriology for the doctrine of salvation from that word. Soter. It's equivalent to the words to save, to salvation, or to salvation, to rescue, to deliver. And you know, it, it, it refers to the mighty act of rescuing or delivering, delivering someone from, from a peril resulting in death, but also the resultant condition that follows. I don't know if you've ever been out on the ocean. I mean, you're out, you, you've seen maybe seen the lifeguards go in and, and rescue somebody. And uh, they're, they're delivering them. They're rescuing them. And without, without that rescue, some would probably have drowned. So it's, so it's an amazing thing, you know, when a person realizes they're being saved and rescued. And what happens afterwards? It's not just the act of the rescue, but it's the peace that comes afterwards. It's the result of being rescued and that's what christians have you know we all live in bondage to sin that's what the bible says everybody is born in this condition there's not a single person who does not sin and the bible says the soul that sinneth it shall die why do we have physical death why all this suffering it's because sin entered the world and it brought with it death and suffering all of these things so when the Bible says the soul that sinned, it shall die, it's not just referring to a physical death, it's referring to an eternal death as well. Physical death is the separation of the, soul, of the, 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 the spirit from the body. Eternal death is separation of the spirit from God forever. Forever. But unto you is born this day in the city of David a soter, a savior, a deliverer. Who is Christ? Christos, the anointed one, the one God anointed in eternity past as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world to save fallen humanity. Mashiach is how we interpret that. Christ, the Messiah. Lord, He's the sovereign one, He's the master, He's the owner of all things. The word kurios here for Lord has already been used by Luke 16 times in chapter 1 to refer to God. Yahweh. Jehovah. Listen, you cannot make Jesus Lord by confessing Him as such. Jesus is Lord. With or without your confession. Your confession merely acknowledges who He is. And the acknowledgement of who Jesus is, God manifest in the flesh, 
when accompanied by the recognition of why he came to seek and to save those who were lost and what it means to you personally results in your personal deliverance from your sins. If you confess, what does the Bible say? If you agree with God, if you confess, the same thing. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will what? You will be saved. It's as simple as that. Listen to me. No church can save you. No religion can save you. Your good works cannot save you. It's Christ and Christ alone who can save you. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved except Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, the Savior. This is the meaning of Christmas. Jesus is Savior, Christ and Lord who came to save you. And you must be saved or else you will die in your sins and you will pay the penalty for those sins yourself. Let us all with grateful praises celebrate the happy day when the lovely Loving Jesus first partook of human clay. When the heavenly host assembled, gazed with wonder from the sky, angels joyed and devils trembled, neither fully knowing why. Long had Satan reigned imperious till a woman's promised seed, born a babe by birth mysterious, came to bruise the serpent's head. Crush, dear babe, his power within us. Break our chains and set us free. Pull down all the bars between us. Till we fly and cleave to thee. Oh, don't let anything separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Those words were written by Joseph Hart in 1759. The Bible says that Jesus was laid in a manger. Nothing is said. It's interesting, isn't it? Besides, there was nothing said about a donkey. Nothing is said of a stable or a cave in this story. A manger. He's laid in a manger. Household animals ate from a manger. What is a manger? It's a feeding trough. It was a feeding trough from animal, for animals. And it says he was laid in a manger. She brought forth her firstborn son, Luke 2, 7, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And what do you immediately think? Of them? You hear the story, right? People, Joseph knocking on the door of a commercial inn, and the, the, the old mean innkeeper says, there's no room in the inn. We're filled, right? I mean, that's the story that we've, we've grown up with. Now, is it true? I don't know. The normal Greek word for inn, a commercial inn, is the word pandokion. That's not the word used here for inn. Luke used it, that word, pandokion, in the story of the Good Samaritan. Who, who took the beaten man to an inn and paid for his, his stay there in the commercial inn. Jesus was placed, the Bible says, in a manger. In a manger. And some New Testament scholars and Oriental scholars believe it to be the ground floor of David's ancestral home in Bethlehem. And it says, because there was no room for them in the inn, not a commercial inn, the word is kataluma, 
it means guest room of a house. There was no room for them in the guest room of a house. Where would Joseph normally go? To his relatives. Well, what if other relatives had come? The law of hospitality says you opened a door to everybody. Well, there was no room for them in the guest room. That would be the upper part of the house. It was already full. Matter of fact, kataluma is used for the upper room in the story of the Last Supper, where Jesus met with his disciples. So they probably put him in the, he, they gave him a place in the in a lower portion of the house, and oftentimes the animals would come right into that section of the, the place to get out of the elements, and they would feed off of a uh, off the trough, and Jesus was laid in that trough, in that manger. That could be the story. We have no absolute certainty of it. But, an, but no matter how you take it, Jesus made no grand entrance on the human stage, did he? And the angel said, this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Swaddling bands. Swaddle was the technical term for the wrapping of an infant in the Orient, in the Near East. The oriental swaddling clothes consisted of square strips of cloth or bandages. The child was was laid on a cloth diagonally. The corners were folded over the feet, the body, and under the head. And the bandages then tied him into that position, the strips of cloth. That's how he was, cradled. Daryl boxes, the wrapping of his fragile limbs in cloths was common in the ancient world to keep them protected and in place and to make them feel secure as they were in the womb. It was their practice. And suddenly, Luke 2.13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came quickly, or with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger in the feeding trough of an animal, wrapped in swaddling clothes, just as the angels had said. The shepherds knew where the city of David was, right? But what house, right? If it was a house. The scripture does not tell us, but they, but they went in haste and they found the child, the Bible says. And I have no problem believing God showed them the way. Now, let me tell you something else that's wrong with your major scene. The Magi weren't there. The Magi came months, months later, maybe even a year later or more. How did the Magi know how to find this place? The Bible says they followed a star and the star guided them and then the star rested right over the house where Jesus was. Shekinah glory of God directed them to the very place where Jesus was. The shepherds were the first evangelists to tell of the person of Christ, the person of Christmas. It says, when they had seen it, they had made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And how do you go back on the job? Right? After that kind of an experience. How do you go back to the fields tending sheep? Now here, here is a little side note to the story, all right? And it tells you how God likes to work. He humbles the mighty and he exalts the lowly. Shepherds had such a low social status, they were considered untrustworthy and they were not allowed to testify in court. Who does God call on to testify of the Messiah's birth? Shepherds. The outcasts. The ones who had no legal status at all to testify in court. Their experience with the angels was not the main story, however. They were focused on what the angels told them about this child who was born. Until he was born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is what they told these people. Luke gives no indication that those people acted on what they heard from the shepherds. Who were they? Were they other relatives in, in the house? Mary's reaction was one of silent contemplation. The Bible says she was pondering. Thoughts were racing through her mind. She was pondering that news in her heart. What kind of thoughts must have flooded her mind? This this young woman who, who gave birth to a child miraculously. The news that Mary pondered about the person of Christmas was the mystery of godliness. That's how Paul puts it, 1 Timothy 3.16. Without controversy, without question, without doubt, great, great is the mystery of godliness. And here it is. God was manifest in the flesh. That's His birth. That's Emmanuel, God with us. He was justified in the Spirit. Perhaps the the Holy Spirit of God justifying His death on the cross and His glorious resurrection from the dead. The Bible says He was declared in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. He was declared to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection from the dead. He was justified by the Holy Spirit of God who was a participant in that resurrection. He was seen of angels. He was seen of angels. Oh, angels ministered to Jesus, didn't they? The temptation in the wilderness. Angels ministered to Jesus. They were there at the tomb when he rose from the grave. When he ascended into heaven, the Bible says he's going to come again in the clouds with the angels are going to be with him. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. That's the, the, the nations of the world. And 2,000 years after his his death, we're still preaching Jesus, the Messiah. Preached unto Gentiles. believed Believed on in the world. Not by everyone. Not by the majority. But believed on by some. 
believed on by some through the working of God in their heart, through the Spirit of God convicting a person that, hey, you are a sinner. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believe on Him. Pastuo, that means a simple word. It means to, to put your faith in Him. To put your trust in Him. That He came to save you from your sins. And then the Bible says He was received up into glory. Yes, He was. And His angels attended that event. And now He sits at the right hand of God the Father. He's waiting He's coming again. And how is He going to come? Just as Jesus told the disciples when He ascended up into heaven, in the same manner in which you saw Him go, with the glory of God and with angels and clouds, clouds filled with the glory of God, He's coming again. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached on to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up them into glory. This is the person of Christmas. And listen, our theology stands or falls with our understanding of who Jesus is, why he came, and what he accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. It all stands or falls on that. Because Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 11, For no other foundation can any man lay than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ, right? The Christ revealed in the Scripture, not a counterfeit Christ, not a Christ who is not divine, not a Christ who is just some good philosopher or religious teacher, but yet a sinner. No, not that kind of a Christ. The anointed one of God. The Christos revealed in the Scriptures. No other foundation can any man lay than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if your faith and your hope for eternal life is not built on that true foundation of Jesus Christ, you are lost. You are perishing. And Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins means you'll pay the penalty for him. In him was life, John said, chapter 1, verse 4. And the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light That, Jesus, was the true light which lighteth every man coming into the world. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only, begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You want to know who Jesus is, what He was like? He was full of grace. That means the unmerited favor of God. And he was full of truth. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, but through me. You want to go to heaven? You need to go through Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. One day it will, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
That's the person of Christmas. First John 5.20, and we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for, and I hope you are, that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He came as a babe born in a feeding trough for animals to die for sinful men. He's coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords. One day, one day, Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman was an evangelist. He was a hymn writer born in 1859. He was led to the Lord by D.L. Moody. This is interesting. He died on Christmas Day in 1815. And one of the hymns that he left us was called One Day. It takes us through the birth, the death, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus. So ponder these words because you're going to sing them in a moment. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain, one day they nailed him to die on the tree, suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins. Redeemer is he. One day the grave could conceal him no longer, one day the stone rolled away from the door, then he arose over death he had conquered, now is ascended, my Lord, evermore. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies will, with glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one's bringing, glorious Savior, this Jesus is mine. The question is, is this Jesus, the person of Christmas, yours? Is he your Savior and Lord? J. Condor said, Thou art the everlasting Word, the Father's only Son, and heaven's God manifestly seen and heard in heaven's beloved one. Worthy, O Lamb of God, art thou, that every knee to thee should bow. In thee most perfectly expressed, the Father's glories shine of the full deity possessed eternally divine. Worthy, O Lamb of God, art thou that every knee to thee should bow. Have you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ? One day, everyone will. Every sinner who was ever born Every sinner who rejected Jesus Christ on the authority of Scripture, I say unto you, the Bible says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Do it now while you have time while you still have breath in you,
to acknowledge that, yes, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus came, I believe, to die on that cross for my sins. I put my faith completely in Him. God will will hear that prayer. God will grant you eternal life. You will be saved. And you will have everything that accompanies salvation. Joy, peace, hope that no one could ever take from you, eternal life. Father, I thank you for this message this morning. I pray, God, that it rings true in many hearts. Thank you for Jesus, who came to die for our sins.